Hey girl, welcome to the Get Your Guide Coaching Podcast. My name is Anwar White, but you can just call me your own personal dating and relationship coach. Each week, you'll hear actionable advice, tips, and strategies that you can implement in your own love life. I'm talking about healing your heart, dating effectively, and understanding men so that you can, you guessed it, get your guide. Are you ready to level up your love life? All right, let's go. Hello, my loves, and thank you so much for joining me today. I have a very special guest with me. Her name is Teresa Times, and she is an executive mindset coach. And today we're going to be talking all about how to level up right? How to become and get into that first chair. And we came up with this concept because we both played instruments and I played the flute. What did you play, girl? I played the clarinet. And any overachievers out there who played instruments growing up know that that first chair was everything. And you were always in the pursuit of that first chair. And, you know, one of the things that we realized as we talked back and forth was that we're always kind of in search and pursuit of that first chair. And so we wanted to just talk a little bit about that today and really get some clarity around how can we do that. So Teresa, thank you so much for coming here and gracing us with your amazing wisdom and presence and person. Thank you so much. I'm really, I'm excited about this conversation. Me too, girl. I can't wait. You're giving me life already. (laughs) So before we get into it, girl, I want to talk about your business and who you serve, right? So that people get a really clear understanding of like what you do. I always think people can talk about themselves and what they do better than I could ever do it. I'm not going to read off somebody's bio. So talk to me about what you do. And then I'll tell the people how fabulous you really are. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am the founder and CEO of Soul Joy Coaching LLC, and I help high-achieving women of color get unstuck in their personal lives while navigating a demanding and high-stakes career. And they do that by cultivating boundaries and prioritizing self-care and joy. Yes, I love that. Now, how did you get into this work? Like, tell the people who you are and all the amazingness that you do. (laughs) (laughs) In my non-coaching life, which is still my coaching life, I'm an ordained pastor. And being a pastor, I have the unbelievable privilege of walking with people through different journeys of their lives. However, what I also realized looking around at my colleagues that many of the women in ministry were struggling and many majority of the women of color were absolutely struggling. And so I was thinking about how, how is it possible that women who are in leadership, women who are intellectually like just powerful and brilliant and can do above and beyond not be able to thrive in their lives. And I didn't want thriving to be just about the material things of thriving, but really about joy and this place of inner peace and unapologetic authenticity and how that looks in your life in real tangible ways. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about joy. I think this is like such an important concept and how do you define it? And then I'll talk a little bit about how I have defined it for myself. 
Yeah, I believe that joy is different from happy. Um, happiness, I believe, has to do with what's happening around you. Happiness is situational, is an emotion. I believe that joy is a character, that it's something that you cultivate. It is what centers you. It is what keeps you steady. It is the thing inside of your gut that anchors your life. And no matter what situationally is happening around you, I grew up in the Black Baptist Church in Mississippi. I called it um, Baptocostal, Baptist uh-huh. and Pentecostal. And um, the song that they would sing is like this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. And just this idea of this deep well of joy that positions me that whatever comes what may, that I'm going to be okay. And that is the um, foundation of why I focus so much on joy and less on bubblegum, pop rapper, happiness. Yeah, I love that so much. Well, my definition of joy is not as intense and beautiful as joy, <laughs> but I will just say, you know, I had a really hard time, I want to say about nine years ago. I was a little bit depressed. My work situation was really toxic and narcissistic. And Mm. um, I took some time off of that situation just to kind of reclaim my joy. And that was one of the Mm. words I used every day while I was journaling. And one of the things that I felt when I thought about joy was that thing that just lights up my spirit. And I generally think about that thing that, I loved when I was between the ages of eight and 12. It's such like Mm. an innocent time. Those are the things that I think really bring joy. And no one can really, as you were pointing out, take those things away from you. So like playing basketball and playing tennis and going back. So I was a huge professional wrestling fan. So actually, (laughs) bro, who was your favorite wrestler? Listen, the Undertaker. I was. (laughs) Girl, Undertaker, girl. I'm talking about some macho man, (laughs) right? But like getting into those things that like bring, like you can't help but like smile from the inside out, right? And so um, I say all of that to say, I'm hoping that the listeners can figure out what their joy is and and the way that we're kind of talking about it so that that can be centered for them, right? Versus this thing that's on the periphery that we're not really kind of focused on that we're like, oh, it's kind of there. I can kind of touch it when I want to, but Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily right in front of us. You know, I want to add something really quick that I think for, I don't think I know. For me, it's important that women of color claim joy because the world is so hard for us. And if we had to think about our emotions based on what's happening around us, we would literally lose our minds, like literally not be stable. And so for us to not be drawn by all of the ways that externally we are supposed to be the expectation of all of the ways that culture tell women of color how we should be in the world, but have this deep seated place of unapologetic authenticity and ownership of being. That is the joy that's important to me, especially for women of color. I love that you said that because I just want to add that I think that sometimes women of color can feel like joy can disrupt them from achieving their goals. And it's actually a hindrance when anything, it accelerates it. Yes. Yes. And you know why? It's because I believe that we've been taught that joy is in competition to anything else that we want to do in our lives. And so you can't have a relationship because that's a distraction. That joy of a relationship is a distraction from all of these other things you need to achieve. Like you can't be happy with the things that you've done or accomplished or really lavish in that joy because that's boastful and it could go away. And so we learn to grab onto momentary 
places of happiness, but we haven't had real models of lavishing enjoy. That's, it's so important. One of the first modules that I have in my program is my confidence module. And in there, we kind Mm. of figure out, well, girl, let's figure out who you are in these love streets, right? And so that doesn't become a chore or another job, but it can actually be so much fun, right? Like, you don't have to play a role. You don't have to put yourself in that box. Like, girl, talk your shit. Do whatever you normally do as if you were at a family reunion and you were seeing an old cousin or you're talking to your best friend. Like, that's the joy and the fun that I want people to have in dating. And so just like in the rest of your life, if you don't have that joy inside, it's not going to work. It's actually going to for you to achieve the results you want to achieve without it. And obviously. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I also believe um, I am a certified yoga teacher. And I believe that among the other things, but I believe that women of color are so disconnected from our sacral chakra, that mm-hmm. place that is in our sexual organs, that's in the seat of that it robs us when we aren't connected to that chakra, it robs us of our imagination, it robs us of creativity, it robs us of passion, it robs us of power. And so how do we connect the heart, the head and that place of sacral feminine energy and power. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Girl, let's talk about first chair experiences. Yes. Let's talk about getting into that first chair. Now, were you ever first chair? Uh, absolutely. Girl, I'm <laughs> absolutely. asking, girl, I don't know, because I was like there for like 2.5 seconds. And then I got knocked off like the next week. And I was like, <laughs> felt like a fool. So talk to me about growing up and trying to get into that first chair in music. And then we can talk a little bit about what that looks like in our more adult lives. Absolutely. So I wanted to play clarinet because a cousin played clarinet, but then I knew nothing about the real parts of music, learning notes, learning treble clef and bass clef. Like I was a singer. I grew up in the church. We sang in church, but I didn't know the art of music, the science behind music. And once I learned that there was all of these things I needed to learn, I practiced all of the time and I was going back and forth. So I was always like first, second or third chair. I would just go back and forth between those. But however, as I got older, and start growing up, this place of, as a woman, especially as a Black woman in the South, it's okay to be like the supporting actress, like the supporting actor in everything. And so I saw, I learned, I'm indirectly taught that you just support everybody else. You do your thing, you you be hush about it, but support everyone and everything that they do. And so Anwar, I sort of um, lost my drive to be number one because it was like, you know, I'm, I'm in the background. I'm doing my thing. And so I had a, a life and a career where I was the best supporting actress in everyone else's starring movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, unlike you, I was rarely first chair. But because I didn't practice as much, I was like doing other things, watching a shit ton of TV that maybe I shouldn't have watched, but I was doing other things, but I still felt like I really want to be first chair, but I wasn't doing the things that were necessary in doing it. I chose flute because it was like one of the least expensive instruments. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, girl, my femininity was thriving uh, (laughs) at seven (laughs) and eight years old. So, and we all know, Flute was a girl's instrument. Let's not play games, girl. Back in the (laughs) 80s and 90s, girl, we were less accepting. We had our gender roles when it came to 
So the girl, I didn't care. I was like, I'm going to play the flute. <laughs> it's portable. It's cute. It's nice. I'm with my girls. But how did that translate into my adult life? I think that maybe there was a sense of entitlement. Like I didn't have to mm-hmm. work as mm-hmm. much. But just being there to your point meant that I was in the game. And so I was happy, yep. happy with the scraps. I was yep. happy with being second and third because I was still there and I was still yep. with people, right? Versus actually, and I think this is important because I think it happens both ways where you can either just be happy being there and being in the Hallmark movie as the supporting best <laughs> friend, that mix of yep. black girl, that's the supporting best yep. friend. Mm-hmm. Or you can feel like, no, like I, I need to be number one and I'm going to do whatever I can to be number one, even if it's like self-sacrificial in a lot of yep. ways. So I I felt like for a a while, just being there, getting into the good school, just being there, not necessarily Mm -hmm. getting the best grades, but just being Mm -hmm. at the good schools and being at these really good, you know, companies and maybe not doing my best, 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 best work, but just being there made me feel like I had already won because in relation to maybe my family and my community, I had kind of maybe surpassed or elevated where they were at. So I already felt like a winner in comparison to. Absolutely. Absolutely. That you've exceeded the circumstances of where we grew up. And so to be in the room was good enough. And also the, um, the mentality of the only and few that there's already a woman, there's already a person of color. So they've already reached the max. I don't need to try to do that. Like there's already met this quota in my head of, okay, I'm good. I'm making more money than my mom and them made. And I'm able to go to Whole Foods and buy the stinky cheese. Like my Whole Foods, girl. My Whole Foods. <laughs> whole paychecks. Whole paychecks and buy some things. And so what happened for, for myself, and I can say for a lot of women that I work with, is that the, the minimum becomes like, okay, entering the room, that's good enough. And I get praised by how supportive I am for everyone else. I get accolades by how much I show up and go over and beyond and stay late and come early and clean up and bring the sauce for everyone else without thinking about what if I did that for myself first? Yeah, yeah, definitely. When I think about it in terms of dating, and I tell my clients this all the time, that you have to be self-centered, that the decisions that you make in dating as a woman, especially a woman of color, that's my 80-20 rule. 80% of them have to be about you, 20% have to be about the guy. And most women are actually doing it in the reverse. Like right? the Absolutely. 80% is about the guy. Oh, I would just got off the phone with a woman. Oh, I don't want to hurt his feelings. Girl, I don't care about his feelings. <laughs> oh, because the priority is you, right? And once you know that, what can happen is that everyone around you will know that as well and make you the priority. And then you get what you want in life. That's what you get in dating because <laughs> yeah, all yeah. of my clients can attest to that. But that is radical thinking in a society that constantly tells women to be small, be small, settle, make yourself as convenient. Do not inconvenience anyone else, fit into their agenda, like what they like, laugh at their silly ass jokes, you know, make your schedule work for them because another person will never come along. And so everything in society, even like what we wear, how we talk is all about being small. Don't let your voice be too loud. Don't laugh too loud. Wear the Spanx, suck it in. Everything is about being small. And the magic, as you said, is 
What happens when you flip that formula and you show up 100%, 100%. Yeah. And you prioritize everything that you want. I love it. So let's talk about kind of ascending to that first chair in life, right? I mean, yeah, we talked a little bit about some of the challenges, but how do you think that we can start to overcome some of those challenges, either self-induced or societally induced? Yeah, it's being honest. It really is being honest with ourselves and deconstructing all of the stories and narratives that we've been told. Like, where did that come from? Who told you you were too much or you were too loud or you were unlovable or you needed to change or you needed to grow your hair? Like, where did that come from? And once we begin to challenge those notions and get really, really honest about what we want, not our mom, not our aunts, not our cousins, but that really allows us a new way of engaging with ourselves. Like, because it first starts with a lot of times we don't know what to ask for because we don't even know what we want ourselves. It's so shocking, girl. Honey. It's shocking. It's shocking how much so many women out there do not know what they want. Anwar, I have in, in my coaching program, I start with the question of like, who are you? And you would think I've asked people, what is a quadratic equation? They're just like, what? They cannot describe themselves outside of what they do. It takes them a while to really think about, oh, who am I? What do I really like? And that's because just think about in a day, the many decisions that we make. And for women, especially women of color, how many of our decisions are dictated by the whims of someone else? Yeah. From what you decide to wear that day, how your hair looks, how you talk or code switch, on what kind of car you drive, where you go to lunch, what you eat. I mean, almost every decision, if we are not clear, is dictated by the whims or the likes of someone else. And I'm not saying that out of what I've heard. I'm saying that out of what I live. Lived experience. Lived Everyone experience. Everyone listening to this podcast is going to know exactly what you're talking about, girl. Exactly. I know that you said, let's be honest. Let's tell the truth. What yeah. sort of exercises or actions can we do to help to overcome some of those challenges? I know you said, you know, be honest and tell the truth. What else? You know, it's therapy. Therapy, 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 like going to a real therapist, not your girlfriend, not your pastor, a real certified therapist to sort of deconstructing those things. And then journaling. I am a big journaler, like spending time writing down my thoughts because, you know, thoughts are, are things that are there in our head, you know, it's like, but is that true, girl? Like, is that true? So I used to have long, long hair, permed hair, like Oprah, like this fly in the wind hair, but I didn't want that hair anymore because of all the upkeep. But I was like, if I cut my hair off, it's going to be like too masculine. Like, oh my gosh. And it's like, but is that true? Where did that come from? Like, I'm going to be ugly if I cut off my hair. So journaling, like really mapping out your thoughts, where you get that from. And then I say, um, I know people, two things, two other things. One, surround yourself with like-minded people. Like if you want to think a different way, start surrounding yourself with people who think the way you want to think. In the dating world, you are surrounded by other single women who hate men. It's not going to work, girl. It is. If you also, if you are around other single women who are insecure, it's not going to work. If you're around other single women who complain about their bodies, it's not going to work. If you're around other single women who are not in charge of their sexual identity and power, it is not going to work. Yeah. I just wanted to add that piece because it's the same in love, dating relationships and, and men as well. 
And you know what? Like, they, I mean, it's easy to flock with those people because those people don't challenge you. Those people just reaffirm what you already know. But if you're an insecure person and you get around confident people, either it's going to entice you or it's going to scare the shit out of you. Yeah. And you have to decide to lean in. It's the same as like hanging out with people that are in the third, fourth or fifth chair or hanging out with the first chair and figuring out what you're doing. How are you? Yes. Right. Yes. What songs are you are you working on right now? Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Also, it's the thing about confidence too. You have to get out there. You have to get out there. Um, because I am Christian, a lot of dating and Christianity is around the first person you date is the person you're going to marry. This is the person forever, and there is no joy in the absolute of this person has to work. Yeah. But it has to be this confidence of getting out there and having fun and trying and keep showing up. That's the whole thing about staying in the first chair is you keep trying over and over again. That's you like do it and you practice and you get better at it. You, you, you gain some muscle and skill by doing it. I think you make such a really good point, which is that when you ascend to that first chair, there's going to be tons of failure and you have to oh, be yeah. ready for that and expect it. And if you're not failing, then you're not doing what needs to be done to get into the first chair. Right. Yeah. That's just part of it. I think all of us, or many of us, I will say, have such a fear of failure. For those of my girls out there that have always gotten the A's and your mom freaked out when you got the A minus and she looked at the test and tried to figure out which one you got wrong. Instead of (laughs) praising all of the 92 answers that you got correct, right? Mm -hmm. Failure is a huge part of why a lot of us are driven, right? We don't want to be and we don't want to fail. But one thing that is really important, whether it's in life or in dating that I've learned is that if you're not failing, you're not flourishing and you're not doing what needs to be done. And so part of dating, you're going to have some failures, right? You're going to nine out of the 10 guys or people that you actually go on a date with will not be the one, but you got to go on dates, girl. (laughs) But also that's a mindset thing. You know, I'm a mindset coach is that for black and brown women, for women of color, our margin for failure is so slim in so many things in life. And so we are actually afraid to fail, but it's like, no, you're failing forward. You are, you are trying, you're kissing the toads, you are trying on the shoes, you are trying on the dress to see if it fits you instead of committing and buying it and realizing like, this shit ain't working for me. Yeah. Try it on. I love it. I literally, um, I, I've recently shared on, on the socials that because of medical things, I've gained um, some weight this year. And today I literally went to um, a boutique and tried on 12 dresses, so many different sizes, because it's like, I don't know what size my body is now, but it was the fun of, I don't care what the number says. Does this fit my body? I have a smaller waist and larger hips, but it was like, if I went into saying it has to be this size, I would have been discouraged from jump, but I tried on 12 dresses of a million different sizes, and I slayed a majority of them. I know that's right. I know that's right, girl. I just did have to say the fun. I went in with an attitude of fun, not like this thing has to work. And I think that's the the last thing I'll say about the whole idea around dating is that like we have these notions of this person has to fit into this exact mold that this has to be it, and it's like it doesn't have to be this exact perfect match. Yeah. It just doesn't. So true. So you talked a little bit about kind of your journey. And I know that we've spoken about so many of your personal transformations. Let's talk (laughs) about them, girl, because you talked about cutting your hair, 
beautiful queen with short hair now. Talk to me about some of the other transformations that you've made over the years. Because of growing up the way that I did, I married my college sweetheart and it was horrible. We didn't stay married. And it's because who I was at 18 was not who I was at 27, 28. And because there was there was just this place of I need to marry this person more so than is this a person that I can grow and evolve with? Your frontal lobes aren't developed at at 18. Um, And so when we got married, it it just didn't work. And we, we went through a horrible, horrible, painful divorce. And so married and divorced. And then during that time, how I self-sued was binge eating and emotional eating. And so I got up to just almost 500 pounds and I've lost over 250, 270 something pounds now. And it was really this place of this commitment of taking care of my health and showing up for myself and putting myself first. So divorce, lost weight, cut off my hair. And then I was a, uh, a local church pastor and I was an associate pastor, like sitting in the second, third, fourth seat, hanging out. Mm. And then this opportunity opened up for me to be a Dean at an Ivy league university. And it was like, I could do this. Like I could absolutely do this. And because of all of these other things in my life that may have seemed tragic of divorce and starting over, cutting off my hair, starting over, losing weight and starting over, I was like, I can leave this comfortable job and try something different and start over. And I did. And so now I'm a dean at an Ivy League university and then I'm remarried. And so um, I'm in an amazing, glorious um, shoulder shimmy. Um, Girl, girl. (laughs) and just for y'all that are listening, she is shimmying those shoulders, girl, giving verbal commentary (laughs) with. (laughs) Well, you're going to have to, they're going to have to talk all about how you got your guy, girl, because... I want to know. I want to know how you got your guy after all of the things that you just talked about, right? All of these different transformations and all of these really challenging times, right? Because I I feel like there's so many women that I talk to on a daily basis that are saying, my life has just been really hard. I don't think that it's going to happen for me. I don't think that I deserve this. I just don't see anybody that's going to see me, right? So I'd love for you to kind of just share your experience and your story about what that looked like for you. No, I've had a really hard life and I don't even need to get into the um, that narrative of like, I just had a really, really hard life. But what I do know and what I lean into is that every day I'm allowed to write a different story for myself, yeah. that it is possible for me to write a different story for myself. And also, I believe that I'm not a tree, that I can move, that I don't have to be planted into one spot, into yeah. one story. And so everything that I talked about, the weight loss, the haircut, the divorce, the job, I did that Um real relationship with a therapist. Like I did hardcore therapy, got clear on my stuff, my role in it. And when I saw the guy that ended up being my husband, I saw him on a social media platform. It wasn't even like dating or like a dating website or nothing. It was Instagram. I saw him in a picture and he was in somebody else's picture that I followed that I barely knew. And I shot my shot. Like I DM'd him. You slid (laughs) in the DMs, girl. (laughs) I slid in the DMs. My big grown 30 year old self was just- Honey, the pastors are sliding in the DMs. (laughs) If the pastors can do it, y'all can do it out there listening. (laughs) Let this be an inspiration. Yeah. And so when I saw him, it was just like, yeah, like say hello. Like I slid into the DMs, said hello, introduced myself. And my thing from it was like, this is an attractive guy. Like, yeah, I want to get to know this person. I was like, hey, let's go out to breakfast. Let's get to know each other. So I initiated the first date. And at breakfast, 
He was like, what? So we did like this back and forth banter for about two or three weeks. And then we ended up at breakfast and it was great. And in that breakfast, like I found out that he was transgender. I had no clue. Um, I'd never been in a queer relationship before. Had I always been an ally of the LGBTQ community, but other than being an ally, never been in a relationship. And then at that breakfast, he learned that I was a pastor and he was like, oh my gosh, I have a difficult relationship with the church. And we left that breakfast like, what do we do with this? And five years later, we are married with a dog and a house and <laughs> living life. But what I say about that is I was open to it. I was open to something new. I put myself out there. I questioned all the things that I believed because I was like, what, what is this? What box does this put me in? My husband's nine years younger than me. So also like I'd never dated anyone younger than me. Um, there was a lot of like never have eyes, but also I was open to good love. And he was an amazing man who he had no reason for me to count him out yet. All of the things that were on the surface that I could have counted him out for, but yeah. And here we are five years later. Let's talk about that for a little bit because, you know, I'm doing this all day, every day, and there are (laughs) women in relationships and it feels like every little thing that is outside of their norm feels Mm -hmm. like a do or die situation. So how are you able to navigate that? with your husband when it came to all of these different things that you were not expecting or not used to? You know, Anwar, I have to be honest with you that I was like, am I compromising? Am I settling? And so I was like, okay, hold this up to any other standard that you would have. And he kept being consistent over and over again. He prioritized our time together. He made time to be with me. So all of these things over and over, and even the question of like sexuality and identity, I had to say like, you know, I've always been like an open person, but it, this was like a different level of open. Well, but it was like 7 Eleven <laughs> open, 24 7 open, girl. This is a different level of open that also had major consequences that I am an ordained pastor in a denomination that I could be deflopped. Like I could literally lose my credentials. So there was a lot at stake there. But, you know, in the world of dating, and you say this, um, I know you do, like he was consistent. He consistently kept showing up. He was a man of his word. And it was just like, okay, he's younger than me. I could like discount him for this, but I can get somebody that's older than me and he can be as inconsistent as anybody else. Or he like, he kept being emotionally available. And I had this track rate record of dating men who were emotionally unavailable. And so there's all these ways that it kept working that if I had my checklist that I would have counted him out for no reason at all whatsoever, other than these things that were on the surface accessories more so than the core. I love it. Get rid of the checklist, ladies. We got to go a little bit deeper than that, right? Yeah. The other thing that yeah. I'm thinking is that you were dating for the long term and not the short term. Meaning yeah. like when you're 80 and he's 71, do we care? <laughs> right. And also too, he, like he also, I have to say for his credit, like um, because he is trans, he had done a lot of his own work. He had done his own um, emotional work. He was also in a space where he was available for it. And so we both had done a lot of work. And when we got together, we still had to do work. And um, before we got engaged and before he proposed to me, he was like, let's do couples therapy. And I was like, what? Huh? What? Like we together, like we. But before we got engaged, it was his idea. And now we, couples therapy is, is part of what we do. So we have a healthy foundation for our relationship. Perfect? Absolutely not, because we're two human people. But is it good and beautiful? It absolutely is. It's such good love. I love that, girl. And I'm so happy for you. Thank you so much for sharing that. This is Thank so you. I'm like, girl, if you can open your mind to something that you are not expecting, there's no reason why 
anyone out there that is listening cannot do the same. Are we saying that we need you to be with a trans man? Maybe, maybe not. Well, what we are saying is, <laughs> but what we are saying is that open-mindedness is the first step for opening your heart. And that's what's really important here more than anything else. So again, thank you so much for sharing that. Is there anything else that you would like to share when it comes to getting into that first chair that, you know, some of the ladies that you work with or some of the listeners out there may still be struggling with or need more clarity on that we haven't discussed already? You know, that's a good question. I would say confidence. And I know that we that we think confidence is this extroverted, overly sexualized thing. But for me, confidence is this like inner stillness. And if you can get this inner stillness and peace about yourself, you know, and where the reason why I totally believe that I was able to change and show up to many iterations of myself is that like, I was confident in myself that I didn't need anybody else to believe or understand. I didn't need to try to convince anybody of my decisions, whether it was, you know how many people like you cutting off my hair, you would have thought like black women in our hair, honey. But it was just like, I was clear. And so like having this inner confidence and clarity, it's like, I do not need a public opinion poll to tell me that I'm okay. Like I am okay with myself. And so from cutting off my hair, so when you lose a lot of weight, that also changes dynamics of relationships. Um, and also when I started to date my husband, you know, people had questions and concerns, but I was clear. I was clear. Even when I left my local congregation and took this big university job, like I was clear. And that clarity of self-confidence, it's really all that you need to move forward. And a lot of times we want other people to agree with us. And I'll close by saying this, this quote that I say, it is mine. I say, freedom means being willing to disappoint other people. Yes. Freedom means being willing to disappoint other people. And my freedom has caused me to disappoint other people, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. I wouldn't. I love that. Well, girl, thank you so much for joining me today on this amazing podcast episode. Now, thank you for having that me. Need to level up and go from VP to CEO of their lives, girl. <laughs> Where can they find you? You can find me on the gram. It's Teresa underscore S underscore Tims. You can go to my website, TeresaTims.com or SoulJoyCoaching.com. And um, on the Twitters, all of the socials, it's all Teresa Tims. All of the things. Yeah. We'll put them in the show notes for everybody to check you out. And I am encouraging everyone to please check out this amazing woman. I am so honored that you are on my podcast. I cannot tell you. I look up to you so much. I think you are so amazing. And again, I am just like touched that you are here and sharing your wisdom with me and with my audience. So I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for you being here. Oh, thank you. I I wish I would have had a you when I was going through my journey. So I'm thankful for all that you're doing. Thank you, girl. All right, my loves, check us on the flip side. We'll be here again next week. I love you all and be well. Bye now. Hey, girl. Thank you so much for listening to the Get Your Guy Coaching Podcast. If you like this episode and want to talk with me personally, please book a free consultation at www.getyourguycoaching.com slash apply or subscribe and leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Talk soon.